Squares Fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome once again, friends, to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Steve Fielder here with you. Got my old running buddy Nubbin Moore with me here today. Nubbin, how you doing, bud? I'm doing just fine, Steve. Well, that's good. What are you doing there? Alabama, this time of year, you got to be thinking about football. Well, it's starting next week. I think some of them's playing today, but uh, i I just been watching Little League World Series right now or a while ago and all this week. You, you're going back to the days of your youth, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, all you, you can talk about it all you want to, can't you? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I like you talking my sport now. You know, I <laughs> listeners ought to know every fall, of course, you and I go somewhere and we're getting ready to go here. Uh, this podcast is going to air on Labor Day, so we'll be just getting back home uh, from our trip to Autumn Oaks, and we're going to talk a lot about that here in a minute. But uh, uh, fall, when I have to venture into the land of the Crimson Tide, I feel like, uh, well, I won't use the word I usually use, but I, I, I kind of feel like an unwelcome child at the family reunion, if you get my drift. Oh, uh, yeah. But uh, you guys, that football's a religion in Alabama, isn't it? Well, to a lot of, I, like, I love to watch football, but I'm not as bad as a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, some people just really, I think they live year-round, just like we do for coon season. They live year-round for football season, don't they? They do. Yes, they do. Yeah. Have you ever been to Tuscaloosa to a ball game? Uh, I've been, uh, I know I've been twice. I might have been a third time, but I've, I've been a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a proud tradition down there. I remember when I was going to school in college in Lakeland, Florida, and there were several guys from Alabama that were there going to school. And, man, I I, I just have to call them football fanatics because oh, yeah. a lot I, of them are. A lot back, of them are. Back then, Bear Bryant was, was God's only son. That's you know? exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I, I love college football. I, I wouldn't go across the street to watch an NFL game. And we got – World champions right here in Tampa Bay, but uh, I uh, I do like college football. Yeah, I do too. I watch it, uh, but you know, if they get beat, they get beat. So what? It's just a game. But a lot of people they die if Alabama gets beat. <laughs> and they, yeah. they lost two games last year, you know. But the world didn't come to an end, you know. It's still spinning, best I could tell. Still spinning. <laughs> yeah, that sun came up this morning up down here in the swamp anyway. Yeah, it did. Well, nothing for people that out there, I don't know, they must have been under a rock or something, but if they've heard me on this podcast or seen me at the events or read anything that I wrote in American Cooner or even in my book, they know that you and I have been friends for quite a long time. And it all started back in the UKC days when I was a field rep, then went to work full-time there, and then you became a field rep. And I guess that's where we got to be uh, good friends, and it has been a, a really good ride. I, we've logged quite a few miles, haven't we? We have. We have. I guess that was in the mid-'80s uh, yeah. mm-hmm. when I met you at some of the hunts, and then uh wasn't long after that you asked me to be a field rep. and 
and I was that for 10 or 12 years, and and then since then, we've been coon hunting together every year, and, and, you know, it's just been a good ride. Yeah, it sure has. Well, you know, the, I have you to thank, and I don't want to blow, blow your head up too big here because I'll have to put up with you on this long ride all the way to Richmond, Indiana, and back, but... If you hadn't invited me to go out to the White River with you back in 2009, I would have never experienced that probably. Uh, I don't know if anybody would have ever mentioned it to me or or uh, uh, invited me along. I, To be honest with you, I didn't even know about it. You know, I didn't realize what was out there. But uh, we've been going out there now since 2010. So. Right. Mm-hmm. This will be twenty two. I guess this is our maybe it must be our twelfth year, maybe thirteenth. I don't know. I I only went about a mile to school, so my math's not. Yeah, not it's uphill, uphill both ways, wasn't it? It was, and snowing Still. like a son of a gun. Barefoot, yeah, barefoot. That's, That's right. right. It was rough back in the back in the day, wasn't it? It was, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I tell you what, we're going to talk a little bit about automotion a little bit because uh, that's kind of what uh, is going on uh, at this time of year. And mm-hmm. automotion, to me, I um, I used to say when I was at UKC, you know, come out to automotion and enjoy the last holiday of the summer with your family and friends, you know, and, and it really is kind of Labor Day's kind of puts a cap on the summertime activities, but. Uh, oh, everybody brings their boat home from the lake after Labor Day. Most yeah, of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, down here, they, they boat year round down here, but <laughs> with all this water and uh, I don't want to talk about the weather too much. I try never to, but dang, it's been a hot summer down here in Florida. I'm talking about heat, and yeah, everybody's cool. talking about it down here, you know, but we tend to forget. You know, I'm reminded of my mother every time my dad would have a litter of puppies, she'd say, oh, this is the prettiest litter of pups your dad ever had. <laughs> and, you know, everyone was the prettiest one. Oh, well. Yeah. People down here about like that with the summer. They're saying this was the hottest summer they could ever remember in Florida, but uh, I don't believe it is. But we've been having several days in the low nineties here. Yeah, it's been cool a little, little bit here lately. Of course, we've had a lot of rain the last last couple of weeks too. Yeah, it rained for about an hour here today. But, uh, well, listen, we better move along off the weather report here because we don't have any sponsors here like these weather people down here in Florida. They get paid to lie, you know, but they got sponsors. We don't have anybody to sponsor. I don't think W Hunting Supply cares a heck of a lot about the weather in Alabama and Florida. But They want you to call them and order some collars and some lights and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's what they like. I think that's what makes Buddy's day out there when somebody calls up and says, uh, I got my credit card in my hand. Here's what I want. That's right. But, uh, credit but, card, our, our debit card one. That's right. Well, mm-hmm. I will pit and use that little opportunity there to thank Buddy Woodbury and all the folks at W Hunting Supply. Uh, they really do have basically everything you need. Uh, to be a coon hunter or to go coon hunting and look good doing it. They got all kinds of shirts and hats and 
and all that stuff, logo wear. But they, really the thing that W does that sticks out in my mind is their customer service on their uh, garments and, and uh, any tracking system and all. If they sell it, they'll fix it. And they'll give you the customer support that you need if you're having trouble making the thing work. Uh, I know guys our age, sometimes we're not the most computer savvy um, people out there, but uh, just good folks. So uh, anyway, uh, boy, I don't know what I want to talk about here first. Uh, As I mentioned, we are, uh, as I'm recording this, it's a Saturday afternoon before Autumn Oaks Week. In fact, next Saturday, we'll be in Richmond, Indiana, probably heading on our way home in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. But uh, Autumn Oaks has kind of a special memory for you, I know. Um, Back in 1985, the 25th anniversary, and we've talked about it on here before, and Mm -hmm. if, if folks haven't listened to that, episode they, they can go back and find it and and pull that up but uh that was the year uh, the 25th anniversary in jasper indiana and that's the first time i saw you that's right that was 84 steve was it 84 84 okay yeah. well i've added 20, you know, 25 I'm on t- yeah i'm older than you so you know i, I tend to forget also but it was uh, okay 84. All right. Well, I don't know. I know 1960 was the first Autumn Oaks. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. We probably called. You know, I mentioned that before, um, the Centennial at UKC. UKC was founded in 1898. Mm -hmm. And Fred Miller wanted to have the Centennial in 1997. And I said, well, 100 on top of 98 is is 1998 Mm -hmm. (laughs) but he was the boss he was signing the checks so i was very happy to agree with him that 97 would work just fine but you say 85 was our 25th anniversary then yeah 84 84, i mean i remember 84 85 and 86 is when i remember being up there okay 84 was the first year you were up there and that's when you had a big time didn't you yeah, that's right. <laughs> you did. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, didn't, I didn't think it was a big deal. It was start with because that's one of the first big hunts that I'd ever went to. I'd hunted here in Alabama to hunt state hunts and stuff like that. But I think that's the first time I'd ever been off on a big on, on a hunt like Autumn Oaks. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned that, you're going to meet a young fella here uh, in a few days. It's going to be coming to his first Autumn Oaks. Mm-hmm. His name is Keston Jesse. He lives over in Lebanon, Virginia. Okay. And Keston and I got to be friends when uh, he started asking me some questions about the cruise dog that I had, and he was looking for a pup, you know, and I happened to know my friend Randy Smith up in Pennsylvania had some pups, and Keston and Randy got together and he ordered a pup, and uh, it was out of uh, Sean Burden's pack dog, uh, power pack bred dog, and Randy Smith's friend female. And I drove up and picked the pup up while I was visiting my mother up in Virginia and uh, brought it back down to Keston. And he and I have been friends ever since. And uh, we're kind of partners now on a pup. Uh, 
that another one that we got from Randy Smith. But anyway, Keston, he only goes coon hunting when it gets dark. Okay. But he tries to go every time it gets dark. <laughs> sound, like, sound like another friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. Who would that be? <laughs> Randy Smith over oh, in Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. He, don't, he don't go hunting until it gets dark, but he thinks he's got to go about every night. And he may say, well, I'm just going to go for a short one tonight. But yeah. You know, he, he goes right, But that's the only way you can train a dog, Steve. Well, you know what the odd thing about Randy is he always shows up at camp with a coon dog. you think it has anything to do with it, maybe? Uh, it has a lot to do with it. <laughs> if you don't hunt your dogs, my dogs, if it went hunting tonight, it would be tired in about an hour because it's hot weather. I hadn't been hunting any. Yeah. I'm about to get started again, and, and mm -hmm. once I will, but... Well, I try to tell, tell these young hunters to, you know, there's no substitute for hunting a dog. I've known that, you know, and I lived for many years where I could do that. You know, I, I had easy hunting in Michigan. And, uh, you know, there wasn't many nights that I missed. But uh, down here in Florida, <laughs> I've missed a lot of nights this summer. Oh yeah, I just talked. Well, it's them. just been too hot for me. I just don't enjoy hunting when it's real hot. You know, well, I never have, but I've always managed to hunt through the summer. But this is this is the first year that I hadn't hunted a whole lot in the summertime. All right, how old are you, Nubbin? Uh, I'm eighty one. So you already passed the eighty one birthday. I knew, I remember when you hit eighty, and I'm right behind you. I'm I'll be seventy six this fall. Yeah. We were talking the other day for our listeners here and uh, talking about our upcoming White River trip that we've taken now since back in 2010. Of course, you've been going a lot longer than that. Yep. But uh, I told you that we're going to have to bring in some of these young bucks. And yes, give some, us somebody's got to go to the tree when that water gets deep, you know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But, when you're our age, uh, you know, uh, just walking to the tree is an accomplishment. <laughs> right. But when you add in that water up under your chin and things like that, you know, it kind of ceases to be fun. That's right. <laughs> and you begin to wonder, well, why am I doing this? You know, but you remember, well, oh, go ahead. I started to say, well, the dog I've got now, if I don't want to go to the tree or the water's too deep, I just got to call her, and she'll come, so I don't have to go. You know, yeah. I don't like to do that, but I, I do it every now and then. Yeah, we put a handle on them for sure, and uh, that just makes it so much easier. Uh, it really does. And the last one I had that I enjoyed, old Hoss, he, you know, had a good handle on him. But there were a few times I had to reach out there and give him a long-distance phone call, you know, especially – White River when he's younger and he's wanting to go pack into the other oh, yeah. dogs, you know. Yeah, when he got big ears. Oh, yeah. If he wasn't yeah. doing much and somebody over there in the next zip code would had something going, he he was all about it, you know. Oh, Which yeah. These yeah. guys, a lot of these competition hunters today, they just about have a heart attack if they thought their dog would cover another dog. But they they not they not would they would have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. They don't want them. They don't want them going to another dog. In fact, they won't. They won't. They can't stand that. Yeah, yeah. Well, times have changed. The whole 
scene has changed, and we talk about that. Anytime I get somebody anywhere near my age and we talk about hunting the way it used to be, we always talk about the dogs packing up, you know, and, and it used to be it took a whole lot. And I'll say this, and I'll draw probably some eye rolls and some uh, – some head shakes and everything from the from younger guys, but uh, you know, uh, back in the day, you know, we wanted the dog uh, to take his track as he come to it. We wanted him to have a good nose. We wanted him to work out the track and tree it, and got just as much enjoyment out of that as we would one of these dogs that opens off the chain and then sinks in there a mile and runs over yep. a hot one in the road where he's been running the roads looking for one to cross and uh, and pops him up. But those are the kind you pretty much – you got a pretty good chance of scoring a coon like that, you know, oh, yeah. and that's become the game. And uh, some people disagree, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. That's right. <laughs> well, okay. When what uh, was the nineteen? Uh, let's just call it the twenty fifth anniversary, Autumn Oaks. That was okay. your first trip out there, right? Right. Yes, it was. Did you uh, kind of prepare for that? You you were hunting. Let, let's back this up a little bit, and some of this will be old news for people that have listened to us before, but uh, there'll be a lot that won't. Uh, remember it. Uh, the Hank dog that you had, what was he, about four when he won that? Uh, yeah, he was born in 80, so he would be four, yeah. Yeah. Did you hunt him at home to get him ready for autumn oats, or did you? Uh, well, I just... thought I did, and I was hunting two or three or four nights a week, and I was hunting regular, and I, I did have him ready for that hunt. Now, when you get to talking about the autumn oats hunt, uh, and get to the world hunt, I did not have him ready for that uh, the first time I went up there because he was not in shape to hunt every night, you know, for a week. And back then we was hunting, what, three-hour hunts? Oh, yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, then, but the following year, I did have him ready. But, uh, but I hunted a whole lot back then, a lot more than I do now. Uh, and I thought I had him in good shape. Well, you've got a good gut, bunch of uh, fellows around there that you hunt with. I know you're like me. You don't hunt as hard as, as you used to. But uh, there are several fellows around there that are good coon hunters that you can go with. And oh, without, God. you know, not trying to talk too much about their dogs or whatever. But how do you think coon hunting has changed since those years back in the mid-80s? Well, to me, that like you said something a while ago, they wanted to blam, bam, thank you, ma'am, tree one real quick, get through the country. Uh, and that's what I see. And then most people now training a dog, if they, if it goes to another dog, they shock it. And, you know, back years ago when I was hunting in the hunts, then I wanted a dog, if it struck a track by itself, to finish it and tree it and stay there. But if another dog struck, put in there with him and hope I get first tree. You know, I want him to participate in all things, but they don't want they don't want that anymore. Mm -hmm. They want the dog by itself. And and especially these hour hunts we have now, if you turn four dog loose and they get treed, the hunt's over when you score them four trees most of the time. Because mm -hmm. they're gonna be so far apart. 
Right, right, exactly. And yeah, you know that, that changed more than anything, I think. Right, and I guess you know it. The thing that comes to mind to me when I look back at all of the breeds that there are of dogs. And you watch a major dog show and they talk about this one was bred to do this and that one was bred to do that. And one, over time, they developed all those different breeds, you know. Mm-hmm. One of them was like be like this little dachshund we got here, a little short-legged, long-bodied dog that could get back in a, in a hole, you know. And then mm-hmm. you got a, a big old long-legged rascal that could run down a, uh, a coyote or a jackrabbit or whatever, and and it, over time they develop these dogs to do these different kinds of things. Well, the hound, you know, was always number one. It was a scent hound, or at least the kind that we we follow, and he used his nose, and that was his his tool. The main skill set that he had was the the ability. To, to follow a track. And if, then the colder he could follow and, and, and put a tree on the end of it, the better, uh, the more he was worth, mm-hmm. you know. But we have changed. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is these dogs have been trained to be independent. A lot of it, as you say, have been trained into them. But now they're starting to produce that too. So it kind of gets, you know, it gets tricky there, but it's kind of a mixture of behavior then becomes genetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, you get one that is independent, independent, maybe wasn't that way to begin with, but he was trained that way, and you breed him to another one that was trained that way. And after a while, those characteristics start to carry through to their offspring. You're right. That's what they do. Yeah. And to me, I I mean, there was a question that came up on Coon Hunting Conversations, which is a a Facebook group that I started, I don't know, three or four years ago. There's almost 10,000 members in that group now. And an individual brought up the question, about having a, a well-bred dog, uh, but the dog, you know, wasn't started or wasn't, uh, I don't know if the dog never had a chance or the dog just, you know, didn't want to hunt. But anyway, the, he made no bones about the fact that the dog was not a coon dog, but it was a well-bred dog. And he was asking, should he breed that dog? Now, back in the day, we always pretty much said, you know, my dogs that stud the proven females. That was a common thing that you'd read in the stud ad. What do you think about that? Well, they say that, but if you had a little money in your hand, come over to breed, I'm sure they'd breed to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that paper will hold still for anything, right? <laughs> it does, yes. It does. But, you know, I think a dog, if it's bred right, you know, it, it, it could throw the same dogs if they're hunted. But if they're not hunted, mm-hmm. if, you, if you buy a pup and leave it in the pen, it ain't never going to trick a coon. You've got you to take it out of the pen and let it, let it do what it's supposed to do. 
Well, I agree 100%, but here's the thing. Here's where I stand on that. I would rather have the well-bred dog with the genetics behind it that I knew, you know, came from a good family or a line of dogs, mm-hmm. even though it may never have been hunted. I would rather take a chance on a pup out of that dog then I would the best coon dog that ever walked down the road, but had no background whatsoever. To to to, I agree with that. Now that's what I, I would too. Mm-hmm. You know, I can remember back in the days of bear hunting in West Virginia, and there was a couple uh, females, they were little English type females, kind of short-eared dogs, weigh about forty pounds. Kate and Queen. They could cold trail a bear like you wouldn't believe. They could fly on a cold track. They were just awesome, you know, and they were out of nothing. I mean, their sire was an old dog. They just called Jesse Morgan's old white dog. Mm-hmm. And the, the female was a red bone female that Granville Burrell had that was worthless. And yet, you know, here they are. <laughs> you know, they're top, top bear dogs. But so, they were hunting a lot too. Well, they were absolutely, yeah, and uh, I, I, that's the difference, I think. And, well, I, I've got a couple of pups myself now. Uh, I have them as partnerships, and you and I know this, but I want to fill yep. the uh, listeners in on this. Two pups are born in October. They're born one day apart. Uh, a plot pup uh, was born on. October 11th, and the Tree and Walker female pup was bred or born on my birthday, the 12th. Um, They have been uh, both with hunters that have given them uh, a lot of opportunity in the woods, a lot of nights spent in the woods and so forth, and uh, they're totally different uh, in the way that they're developing, but... I'm going to say that once it all shakes out, uh, the one that's been a lot slower is probably going to be, you know, uh, the way she's progressing, it looks like she's going to make a dog. And, of course, we all like the one that's doing it early, you know. The male, the plot dog, he's been just kind of a a, a standout. You know, mm-hmm. he's been running tracks and treeing on his own and hunting good and really likes to be by himself. Uh, you know, uh, he slipped up the other night and uh, really got his first bad mark in his uh, in his uh, illustrious 10 months of life. He treated a possum. Well, they're going to all do that. I <laughs> Hey, I used to, I wouldn't care if they run a deer, what they done when they was young. I, in fact, I, I, I raised, I bought a dog from my nephew one time. Then the re- reason I liked that dog, he was nine months old and he run a deer to catch it, buddy, for the longest. He went out of here and after a while he'd come back. <laughs> and I finally, I asked him to sell him that night and he, he wouldn't do it. I finally wound up buying that dog three or four months later. And really, just on the way he ran that deer, because he could really move one, buddy. <laughs> and he finally quit, you know, after yeah. a few talkings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, on the Walker female, she's been really slow. 
you know, when Keston got her, I think she was about four months old, something like that, four or five months old, had shown no indication that she was interested in anything with fur on it. You know, playing in the yard with the other dogs was what she wanted to do. And the first few times we took her to the woods, that's, you know, about all she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't go to the other dogs, acted like she was afraid of the other dogs when they would bark. Uh, she never was a timid puppy, but she just, you know, she was just quirky. She had and, to figure out what they were doing. Yeah, you know, and she was still getting sick in the dog box and things like that. Well, she, uh, you know, this boy is just, uh, there's no way to extri- explain it, but he's a hunter. <laughs> I mean, he he loves it, you know. And he's been real successful in training a male pup there that he's got that's 13 months old. It's really doing well. But anyway, the point about this female is, you know, it's easy to get real uh, discouraged with them and say, well, you know, she should be doing this and that. And when the plot's down there in North Carolina, Tree and Coons, and she's up here acting like she didn't even know, uh, you know, no interest in in anything uh, uh, of the game variety. But little by little by little, She's changing, you know, and she got to where well, she's she just, had, she just had to grow up a little bit. That's it. And she still has a lot of pup in her. There's no mm-hmm. question about that. She still has a lot of play in her. But uh, uh, where the plot, on the other hand, he he just wants to get out there and try to get into something, you know. But uh, so they're all different. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that they're all different, but you just got to keep taking them. Keep taking them, keep taking them. That's all you can do for a while. But after a while, if they're not doing it, you got to give up on them. Well, you do. But I, I thought it was interesting when I had Lee Logan on the podcast a few weeks ago. And I hope that that inspired a lot of people. I know my friend Billy Dwyer down in Louisiana uh, particularly liked the episode with Lee because he's working with a young Walker female that's that's kind of trying his patience a little bit, you know. She's been pretty slow. But uh, but Lee had an instance there with the genie female that he had that made Grand Knight champion and shows up on a lot of pedigrees. Uh, she, uh, I think that she was the one, uh, but, but I don't want to be wrong about that, but she might have been the one that was the mother of Clover, the Logan's Wild Clover. But mm-hmm. anyway, you know, it had gotten down to the point, well, old girl, this is your last night in the woods. Mm-hmm. If you don't do something tonight, you know, you're, you're not going to get to come home. And as fate would have it, you know, she got out there and ran and treed that night and then just went on, you know. Mm-hmm. So Some of them start later than others, I know that. But, you know, I used to I, when I used to raise a pup every year, pretty much every year. But when I, the year old, uh, 12 months is what I'd give, a, you know, after 12 months, if that dog is not doing something that I liked, it, it had to go. You know, right. it may not be a coon dog yet. It may not be. It had to be doing something that I saw a little that I, well, I want to keep this one. 
But when a year old, if it wasn't doing something, somebody else had to feed it. Well, that's that's right, and I think that's probably a pretty good uh, uh, milestone there to use, uh, especially the way pups are bred today. I think they're bred yeah. to start earlier than pups. They were. really are. Yeah, mm-hmm. they are. But, uh, hey, before we go any further, and I want to talk more about Autumn Oaks and about your experience back there and about some of the things that we will see and do when we're there, I wanted to mention my mailbag here. I get a lot of correspondence and a lot of contacts from people every week from all over the country. And, you know, there's just so many of them that I can't really uh, – mention all of them, but I I just want to read off a few here that I've talked to just within this last week. Uh, There's a a fellow named Tony Geiger, uh, a fellow named Mitchell Baxter, a fellow from down there in your part of the world that's 90-some years old now. I think he just did a podcast uh, with one of the other boys, uh, Harold Edwards. I talked to him here just recently oh, and uh Harold. i think harold's 92 now yeah and he he still goes hunting <laughs> isn't oh, yeah. that amazing yeah. and he's got a lot of memories and he wanted me to hook him up with fred moran uh fred moran he said has bought several dogs from him down through the years and of course fred's been on the podcast here several times and it's about time for us to get back in touch with fred i'm hoping to see him uh, at Autumn Oaks so that uh, we can get some more recording done. A fellow named Cody Coppin uh, called me uh, or, or contacted me. My friend Gordy Schrader from up in Ohio and uh, lives now in Michigan. Uh, we're going to be doing a little dog transportation for Gordy uh, back and forth from Autumn Oaks. Uh, had a good phone conversation with Lee Kearns from over in South Carolina Lee had a birthday this week, and uh, I don't remember exactly how many, but it's 80-something, and uh, still doing good, and uh, he's got a little problem with his with his feet and all, but uh, really doing good for his age, and he'll be at Autumn Oaks, so looking forward to seeing him. Uh, I heard from a, a lady named uh, uh, Valerie uh Robinson, Valerie Robinson, talking about uh, this thyroid issue. And I had posted, and we've talked about it on the podcast, about the cruise dog that I had and how he uh, ended up being a a low thyroid dog. And I've had a lot of communication from a lot of people uh, with their situations and all. And I'm trying to log all that stuff and someday uh, maybe – roll that out and share it with other people out there that's going through that. Did you ever have a dog with thyroid issues? No, uh, no I don't think. If I did, I didn't know it, you know. But mm-hmm. a lot of people do now, especially in the Walker dogs. They, yeah. They're talking about, I know my buddy Jamie and Trey Perry, and they, they experienced that a good bit with some dogs. And, uh, you know, but yeah, I, I never, never heard of it, you know. Well, Jamie is the one that persuaded me, you know, to get the cruise dog okay. tested, and sure enough, he did test low. And I just got a report this week. I'll give old tip I had to old Cruz. Of course, he's on medication and all. We 
I made the decision. I hated to because there was a lot of things I liked about the dogs, but dog. But you got to see those eyes when you walk up to a tree. And if you don't see those eyes, you're just kidding yourself. And old Cruz, he was selling it, man. I mean, he had the complete package, but he had one thing was missing was those eyes. And uh, so anyway, I let a a kid up in Virginia that loved to hunt with his granddad and just wanted a dog. He didn't care. He just wanted to have a dog. And I checked him out, and I knew that he'd take care of Cruz. And so I I gave him the dog, and uh, mm-hmm. we put him on medication, you know, and, and all that. And I check up on him every once in a while, make sure he's still giving that medication to him. And I got a report this week that old Cruz had treated three coons this week. So maybe, oh, maybe he's coming around. Or maybe it was just that three-year-old. Uh, well, actually, I think Cruz probably just turned four. Uh, so, he probably did. Maybe, yeah. maybe if that would help old Cruz, maybe I need to get on medication. I might get <laughs> up and go more. I tell you. <laughs> well, yeah, we might we might need that for sure. Yeah. Well, I heard from a fellow named Luke Worthington. I enjoyed uh, hearing from him. I heard from a Josh Turner. Now, I, I when I saw that, I said, Josh Turner, man, that Nashville – Recording yeah. artist. That, yeah. Of course, my cousin Ted Green there is Josh's uh, management agency in Nashville. This fellow, Josh, is from West Virginia. Seemed like a very nice fellow, and we corresponded back and forth. It was good to hear from him. I heard from a, a fellow named Clay Nelson, who's really interested in plots and wanting to get a, a plot club started there in the South. Talked to him and one enjoyable conversation and back and forth was with Zach McBee, which Zach has been on uh, several podcasts here right, uh, recently and is a real uh, knowledgeable young man as far as uh, training and, and campaigning coon dogs. I much enjoyed that. And then earlier, I think I mentioned Billy Dwyer. Uh, he used to be on Facebook as Whistling Dixie. And uh, but Billy's just he was has been a guest on this podcast. So, but that's just a few right there uh, of people, and I could sit here and and read names all evening. But uh, want to thank everybody that takes the time to drop a line, a note, uh, email, a text, whatever. Just uh, and for everybody that says they enjoy the podcast, that really. Uh, is is enjoyable for me to hear you say, and hopefully I know you get tired of listening to me ramble. You have to, but uh, anyway, it, it's for you that that I'm doing this, and I do thank you for getting back to me. Nubbin, we're going to Autumn Oaks. I'm going to come up to your place on Wednesday, which is about a drive, about a day's drive for me, yeah. and uh, then I always have that great. Uh, bed there that Becky provides for me. I I feel like I'm in a bed and breakfast, really. But uh, it's always good to be up there and to see you all. But then Thursday morning, bright and early, we're going to roll up the road to Richmond, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Get on up Highway 65. <laughs> yeah, we're going through Rocket Town up there in Huntsville. Mm-hmm. we we'll go to Nashville and mm-hmm. up through Louisville and on up to Indianapolis, and then I think the longest stretch of road 
on our entire trip is that I-70 from Indianapolis hey. over to Richmond. <laughs> seems gotta, like we'll gotta, never get there. Got to go east. It seems like a long way, but it's not that far, but it seems like it always takes a while. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like going to my grandma's in Tennessee, you know, that long 500-mile trip. seemed like the longest distance was that eight miles from the town of Dixon out to the farm, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, back in 1984 then, uh, you went to Jasper, Indiana. Let r- Replay that. What do you remember about Autumn Oaks back then? Well, you know, that's been a long time ago. The main thing I remember is uh, I drew two walkers, a blue tick, and, of course, I was had a black and tan. And uh, really, when I went up there, I just wanted to go to a big hunt and participate and hope my dog done good, and that's really all I wanted. I didn't have any anticipation of winning the hunt. And I did think, well, if I could get to be the high-scoring black and tan of the hunt, you know, that would be good because I was in the Black and Tan Association, and I still am. But, uh, you know, I didn't have any uh, inclination that I'd win the hunt, although I knew I had a dog that could treat cones and could compete. Yeah. And uh, and I think I wound up the night, uh, treat, uh, we, uh, I treat a couple of cones, and they, when we all did, you know, we all dogs was participating. Mine got off to self. I remember one time and treat a cone. And uh, at the end of the hunt, I won the cast, and I had 750, 800, something like that. And I thought, that's a pretty good score, but that ain't gonna, that's not going to win a big hunt like this. But in Jasper, Indiana, there's not as many coons down there back then as they are on up northern in Indiana. That's right. That's right. So anyway, that wound up. And I remember Sunday morning, you go out there, and I knew I'd get, you know, I hoped I would get a trophy or something but i didn't still didn't think i was gonna win the hunt and i'm sitting there and normally they call the black and tans out first the the high score black and tan winner you know grand champion black and tan of the year and then they call that a blue tick and i thought well did i get scratched what happened anyway so they got on down and called them all out and then they called me out but i didn't really to that point i didn't have any any idea that I was going to win the hunt. But, so they skipped over the black and tan because yep. they were going to read it last because it was that's the right. biggest. That's, right. what, that's <laughs> what they're doing. But at that time, I didn't really know what was going on, you know. Well, and I that, don't know if I was the one reading it off or whether it was Fred Miller. but uh, I don't uh, remember. I know Miss Miller was standing out there with you. I think you was standing out there handing her trophies out. Best that's probably what was going on, and, yeah. But anyway, I was real proud, and I thought, man, you know, there ain't nothing to these big hunts, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, anyway, that was a good experience, and, you know. Yeah. yeah. And then the next year, uh, moving right along, the next year I won the high-scoring black and tan Grand Night Champion. And then the third year I was up there, I won the high-scoring black and tan. But I didn't win. I didn't win at all, you know. Yeah. uh, Come close that second year, but um, I was a few points shy. But and that was with Hank all three years? Yeah, all three years I uh-huh. was with Hank. Yeah. yeah, I had a couple of dogs at home, but that was the only, only dog, what I mm-hmm. call a coon dog, you know. And uh, he was a competitor. Uh, I lost a lot of sleep hunting that dog because there was no comeback. You couldn't call him. You, back then, we didn't have shotgun collars. Wherever where he went, you had to follow him. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember telling folks I lost a lot of sleep with that dog. 
which I don't I don't do that anymore because you know with this collars we got now, if the dog won't come back naturally like mine does now, I just have to call mine and she'll come. Yeah. And by the way, she is a Walker dog. To all you folks that think I still hunt black dogs, well, uh, I I've got one dog here and it's a Walker dog, and I've had her four years now, and uh, she was two years old when I bought her. And uh, I still love black dogs, but I love a dog at Triacone. I love a dog at Mines, and that's what I got now. Well, there's no doubt about it. Kate's a nice little female, really nice little female tree dog out of this world. Oh yeah, she'll have those eyes most of the time. They don't. None of them are a hundred percent, but oh no, she, they're, they're she's not. a real nice little dog to hunt with. I enjoy hunting with her. Mm-hmm. And forevermore tree dog, and just stands right there on that tree, looking up, not looking right or left, or jumping or jacking the tree or anything of the sort. She just nice little dog, and she's out of uh, uh, the X dog, right? Uh, the, no, she's uh, out of N Kane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. N Kane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. And you raised the little puppies out of her, but uh, yeah, I guess they're two years old now. Some. I, she just raised four. She had five, and one of them was dead when I got up there. But uh, the three of them are doing real good. I don't know what, what about the fourth one. I don't mm-hmm. know anything mm-hmm. about it. But but three of them are doing real good, so I'm told. And uh, I haven't been hunting with any of them. But, well, you bred you know, to I, a dog over in Mississippi, didn't you? I did. I bred to a dog, uh, Galen and Billy Rawls, this dog, over in uh, right out of Columbus, Mississippi. I guess it's Columbus over that way in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. Uh, anyway, they. Uh, I'd heard a lot about that dog, and my friend Randy Smith that we mentioned earlier, he told me about the dog. He really liked the male dog, uh, and I, I've always liked a, what I call line breed or whatever clo- breed real close. So the, Galen and Billy's dog is out of insane came, but a different female. So it was a half brother sister cross. Half brother, yeah, sister. man. Yeah. Well, that's uh, we we're gonna have to do a little better job and figure out where those pups are and what they're doing. We may have to get off the pocketbook and have one well, of these one of these, one of the. Listen, let me tell you this much: when something happens to Kate, well, I hope she's around a few more years, and I'm I'm I'll probably quit gun hunting. Mm. At this age, you know you can't keep up with the folks in the woods and you let them go get your dog. And, you know, I hunt with a guy named Jerry Hanna. He's my age. And we both got dogs that are older. And when we go to the woods, if we make a tree pretty quick, then we turn loose again. If we, if the dogs go way in on a tree, then when we get them, we lead them back to the truck and come home. And, you know, that's that's my coon hunting nowadays. And, you know, I said to somebody the other day, getting off the subject just a little bit, the reason I quit competition hunting four years ago or so is I remember years ago when I was a young guy full of it, then I wanted to get to the tree as quick as I could, score the tree, get move, and turn loose again. Because if you do that over and over and over, you'll get to turn loose one extra time. If you just dragging around, and the more you turn loose, the more cones you out to tree. Yeah. Now, if I had an, an older gentleman in the cast, 
with me that could not keep up. Then we had to lag back and to keep up with him. We couldn't go off and leave him. And I remember thinking, well, if you can't keep up, why don't you stay at home? <laughs> okay. So when I got this age, then I remembered all that. And I thought, okay, I had just bought Kate and she had had two wins. And I thought I need to make her a night champion anyway. So I entered one hunt after I got her and I won first place. And I thought I'm not hunting in anymore because I'm not going to hold these young kids up like I used to fuss and gripe about. I'm I'm going to I'm not going to hunt. If I go to hunt, I got a cast, but I'll step the truck and say, y'all go north and hunt. Come back when you tree a coon or turn loose again. Yeah. So that that's just that's my philosophy. If you can't keep up, you know, you got to tree cones on these hunts and you can't you can't tree them if you're lagging around and not staying in a big hurry all the time. Well, I think the the hunt formats a lot of the hunts anymore kind of you know they're they're not high scoring hunts where they used to be back in our day. But as you were talking there, it just kind of reminded me of something. Nubbin. You know, we held ourselves to a higher standard. And here again, again, I'm I'm probably going to get some flack from some of the younger hunters and all. We really but don't care, do we? We really don't. <laughs> Somebody said one day that they didn't like listening to my podcast, you know, that I talk too much and so forth. And I said, well, it's my podcast, you know, you, you go, you go get you one. You can do, you, you can just turn the radio and let it play for an hour if you want to. No, no. But what I was going to say is that I think we held ourselves to a higher standard and I don't mean in honesty or whatever. I'm talking about, uh, you know, we hunted a lot harder than these hunters of today hunt. Most, a lot of these guys that are running these competition hunts, and especially the way the the money's so lucrative and all, a lot of these guys are not really hunting all week. All they're doing is hauling the dog to a hunt on a weekend. You know, we were out there hunting. We didn't have tracking collars. We didn't have, you know, we might come dragging in in time to get a shower and go to work. I've done it, and I know you have too, probably mm -hmm. a lot of mornings. And and we're not, I'm not saying this to try to say we were better, stronger, better, and all that. But we just hunted a lot harder, and we held ourselves to a lot uh higher standard of what a hard hunter was you know that word he's a hard hunter that just meant he did it a lot and he did it uh he did it for a long time when he went and uh, i don't think you know i hear guys saying this all the time that the only time their dog's been in the woods that week was that night at that hunt yeah i guess i'm sure well, I thought you had to hunt a dog, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit about the world hunt one time. Uh, I went in 85, I went to the world hunt, and back in 85, ACHA was, was the world hunt, okay? I go up there, and after Wednesday night, then I was a high-scoring dog for the, for the week so far. And then you go, you pick the top 25 and blah, 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 you know, and go on to our top 20 after a while. And, but listen, the last night, my dog was wore out because we was hunting three hours every night. He was not in shape. 
Okay. And I realized that. All right. The next yeah. year, the next year, all summer long, I swam that dog. I had a neighbor that had a 15, 20 acre lake or friend and had a flat bottom boat there. And I'd go over and get in that boat, take old Hank out in the middle of that lake and put him out and make him pull me in that boat back to the bank. And I'd done that every day for a while. And then I turned the boat sideways and made him pull it sideways. Mm-hmm. And he was hard as a rock. And, and I'd also do this. My son was a teenager then or young man. And then I, I was working a second shift at the time. My son, Scott, would take the dog hunting at dark and hunt him two or three hours or more. And when I'd get in from mi- at midnight and I'd take him hunt him on the daylight. And I, we done that every night for a while. Yeah. So you, you got to have a dog in shape if you're going to the world hunt and going to hunt every night. Well, especially when you're going to have to double up. You know, you're going to have late rounds. Oh, yeah. And I think that's where a lot of guys fall short, you know. They get those early round wins, you know, but then that late round, <laughs> that's a tough one, you know, because um, – there's a, just a lot of factors that go into those late round casts. A lot of oh, times yeah. you're hunting on ground that's already been hunted over early, and yeah. you know turning cast the dogs uh, loose where a, another cast has already been. The dogs there's all kinds of well, you know, a lot of dogs they want to smell around where this dog's been or that dog been instead of getting their mind on getting in there and treeing a coon, you know, yeah. and then the coons. Uh, have already been run and treed and and they're you know probably in the den or whatever just a lot of some of it may be just conjecture that you figure it's that way and but but that's the way we always thought about it anyway but uh yeah no no substitute for keeping them in shape i no. will give my uh, a tip of my hat to mark miller there in in taylorsville north carolina that is my partner on the plot dog uh, you know, he swims that pup all the time. Uh, the pup's kind of like his old granddad was. He'll swim after a, a retriever dummy, mm-hmm. you know, like these retrievers. They'll throw him across the oh, pond. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the second time he showed fever that, he was all about it. So mm-hmm. he'd go and he'd swim out there and swim back with it, you know, and, and that. And then he's put him in a couple of water races. And uh, the first one was a state championship. He won his heat, and then he came back and lost, came in second on the final. Then the next time he went, he won the whole deal, you know. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that he's strengthening that pup. And when you t- he takes him into the woods, and he's in mountains there where he is, he goes hunting, you know. So oh, yeah. I'm not trying to brag on this pup. Anything could happen to him. He's just 10 months old. But – it's uh, it's important to keep them in condition. That's for sure. That's right. You got to have them in shape. Well, bear hunting over the years, um, keeping the dog's feet in shape was uh, a hard thing, and most of the guys would have these uh, mechanical dog walkers, you know, like a spoke uh, where you could with a motor on it, uh, uh, you know, a slow. You have to set the speed at you know, something that the dog can attain just by walking. But uh, anyway, getting them in shape is is a big part of coon hunting or any kind of hunting that you do with the dog. 
And there's a whole episode to be talked about there about how to, you know, we we don't as coon hunters do enough to check our dogs after we're through with the hunt. You know, we need to get them up on the tailgate and go over them, check their feet, check their ears and their eyes, make sure they don't have any foreign debris in their yeah, eyes. I had and, the, and feed them when you get home. Yeah, yeah. After the hunt, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's all kinds of thoughts about that, whether you feed them before, you feed them after. When I heard Arlie Reynolds, Dr. Reynolds with the Purina Group, uh, talking about those dogs running those sprint races, 100-mile sprints on an empty stomach, mm-hmm. um, I, I thought, well, it's probably better not to feed them before you take them. But... Uh, there's just a lot of things to being a houndsman that, that, you know, that we can learn if we just stop and think about things, you know. I think mm-hmm. coon hunters have been particularly lax in that of just, you know, going to get the dog, time to go to the woods, let him throw him in the dog box, turn him loose, time to go put him back in the dog box, throw him in the, in the kennel. And forget oh, yeah. about him till the next night, you know. I don't think there's many coon hunters like that anymore. But there well, sure used you know, to be a to, lot. You better take care of your dog. I know most of the time uh, I've been feeding my dog twice a day here lately or for a good while. But I used to feed in the morning and then at night when I come in and go hunting, I'd take them hunting and feed them when I got back. And I just that's just what I've always done. Well, the old saying is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know. That's right, yeah. It seems mm-hmm. to work. And I know at, at camp, hunting camp, we always give them a little feed when we get back in and mm-hmm. probably feed them a little bit the next morning, too. Yeah. And, and the more you hunt them, the harder you're hunting them, the more they're going to need. And uh, and cannot overemphasize a lot of good fresh water for a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to have it for sure. Yes, okay. In this heat. Yeah. Well, we're going to go up to Richmond here. It'll be just three or four days from the time we're recording this, and we're going to drive a uh, pretty good – what does it take us, eight hours maybe from your yes, place? I'm, I'm, I'm a guess. I'm thinking I wrote it down somewhere. It's about 540 miles from my house to the hunt. Yeah. So, and, of course, it's a day's drive from my place up to yours on Wednesday. Right. But, right. well, we'll roll in there. And this year, I'm not going to be at the uh, American Cooner booth. But this is all after the fact because this uh, this podcast is going to air on Labor Day. Right. So we'll already be back home. I'll be, uh, I'll be grilling burgers and hot dogs and, and maybe uh, sipping on a – cool beverage out there on the patio if i'm lucky but uh by the time this air i'll be sipping on a best wine yeah you've uh your wine is i was talking to jason doobie out at w supply and he said he wasn't going to be able to make automokes this time but he sure wanted to get back and get in on the stories and some nubbin wine so uh well <laughs> We'll uh, have to do that. I, I got a I got a new batch of muscadine wine bubbling in the basement right now. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You're a I don't I don't guess you're you're we're gonna get you in trouble for being a uh uh 
what is it they call it? Uh, well, you're not making moonshine, I know. No, you're making grape wine, grape making, juice. Making, <laughs> making grape juice, yeah. That's right, that's right. Or blackberry juice or anything, it'll ferment. Yeah. Well, what are, what are some of the things you like to do when you go to Autumn Oaks? What do you enjoy well, just, about going up there? Uh, I just like to visit with other coon hunters that I have heard about, read about, or knew about, and just talk to them about what they're doing and how the how the world's treating them. You know, and just visit. I like to walk around and talk. I may not sound like it on this podcast, but I love to talk. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know I do. I have to watch that because I talk too much. But that's what I enjoy the most about it, too. And uh, I hope that I will have gotten to see as many people. UKC this year is doing things a little different. They have got a media area set up for the podcasters and the YouTubers that have video, uh, you know, YouTube uh, channels. And so right. forth. So, and I don't know. It'll be after the fact anyway, but it'll be somewhere there in in that headquarters area, I would imagine. And yeah, so that's where you know. Uh, hopefully, that's where all the breed associations are set up, you know, and then the bench shows over to the left. So right, that's probably where to be at. I would think. Well, and it may be over where they have where they serve dinner and lunch, and breakfast and stuff in that building. Yeah. Well, it'll be in one or the other. That big building where the show is and the breed associations and all that is called the Tom Raper Center. And then right. the other one is the Coleman Center where we used to always have the headquarters and the kitchen and also be one of the two of those. So I hope a lot of people will have stopped by and all. And what I'm going to do or what I will have done uh, is to walk around the crowd uh, with the portable equipment and try to talk to as many people as I can and record them for a podcast that will air uh, after this one comes out the week following. So that's the plan anyway. So hopefully I will, will have gotten a chance to talk to uh, to uh, a lot of hunters. And uh, I know Keston, the young fellow that's coming up from Virginia, he's all about – he is totally uh, – a novice when it comes to night hunts. He mm-hmm. doesn't know anything about them. He wants to learn. Uh, I got to really uh, give the tip of my hat to this young man. He said, you know, I want to go out on a good cast. I don't want to go out on a cast where there's, you know, con- confrontation and things like that. I just want to be out there to learn. I want to mm-hmm. be out there to listen to the dogs, listen to the handlers, and see what's going on and learn as much about this as I can because I want, you know, I want to competition hunt. And that's a wake-up call for us, the older guys, and especially those that are still hitting it hard out there. There's a, somebody walking along on your cast or someone comes up to you and says, do you mind if I walk along? Invite them along. That, that's the only way our sport's going to survive. Right, uh, you know, and uh, I was just really blessed to meet him and to meet Mark Miller, because at my age, uh, just like we've talked about, we uh, we just can't do everything we used to do, and uh, to have a younger fella to partner with you on the dog, 
to hunt the dog, to give you videos and phone calls and text messages to tell you how the hunt went. Man, that means a lot to me. And, uh, oh, yeah. Well, you know, when you get our age, you can't do the stuff you used to do. I mean, you might think you can, but you can't. I mean, just like this morning. Of course, I live out in the country, and there was a deer kill next door to me a couple of days ago. And the county is supposed to come pick them up if you call them. And we called and they didn't come yesterday. So this morning I thought, I've got to get that deer out of here. So I had to, normally years ago, I'd have went out there and got the deer and throwed it up in the truck. But I had to call one of my neighbors to come help me. He'd get one in, I'd get the other, and we put it in my truck. Then I hauled it off to the woods. But, uh, you know, used to, I just went out there and get it by all four legs and put it oh, up yeah. in there. Yeah. But it was, a, it was a full-grown doe deer, so. You know, but you, when you get to where you think, you know, you just have to get help doing stuff, you know. Well, you do, and and it's really, it, it kind of comes on you, kind of blindsides you, at least it's that yeah. way with me. Uh, you know, I, I've i been here in Florida, uh, I think, nine years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, paddling that kayak around in the Gulf was just nothing to me. And I can still do that, but getting the thing, uh, I did uh, have a trailer made for it, so that makes it easier. I don't have to load it up on top of the uh, the back of the truck. But You can get you one that's got them pedals where you pedal it like a bicycle. Yeah, you can, and there was one for sale here just last week or so, and I was, I guess, too tight to spend the money that had a trolling motor built. They may, oh. They're making now trolling motors just custom built. For these mm-hmm. kayaks, you know, but but there's just so many things. I remember when I first came down, you know, I'd go out to to the ramp somewhere to load my kayak, and somebody'd see this old gray haired man. They'd say, "Hey, can I help you do that?" And I said, "No, man, I don't need any help. I got it." Well, right <laughs> now, man, I <laughs> right now you'd say, "Yeah, you get the front, I get the back." That's absolutely, yeah. you get the heavy end. <laughs> Yeah, but it, time goes on. It, it does, and it passes oh so fast. And, but uh, I, uh, I'm looking forward to Autumn Oaks, and, and uh, hopefully, as I said, we've had an opportunity to talk to a lot of our friends and and see a lot of people. And then, of course, our big deal uh, that we look forward to all year round, or at least I do, it's been the highlight of my year. Every year now, uh, for several years, is our white water trip, white river trip, That's right. uh, yeah. white river refuge. I was talking to somebody today, and they said we were talking about a uh, a refuge that was over in uh, Mississippi that's similar to the White River. Uh, is. is that that Delta? Yeah, it, it is. I've been there one time several years ago with Mike Crockett and Mister Fred when we when I used to go over there all the time. Um, it's similar to it, but to me, it's not as good a hunting, but we treat, we treat raccoons every night, you know, so that's, yeah. that's what it's all about. Is there access there with four wheeler, uh, ATV trails and things like we have at the White River? Uh, yes, but I don't think it's as many. Uh, uh I remember us going down there and we did ride, seemed like with Mike and somebody might've been riding a horse and we had, we was riding the four wheelers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, that's been years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, 
hunting season is coming. Autumn oaks is always, you know, kind of like the introduction. Uh, I, I know that all the vendors come out with their new products and add autumn oaks. Our friend Ray Conrad, uh, I had him on the podcast a while back, and Ray's always had a new light to come out. New on. Light. He has a new light every year. Yeah. And, the uh, best, best ever. <laughs> well, old Ray's the innovator, you know. He's always oh, yeah. changing things up and all. So oh, yeah. and that's one of the things that I like to do at Autumn Oaks, too, is walk around and kind of see what's new and who's got what. And uh, one guy I used to enjoy seeing all the time, and I don't think he's in the dog supply business anymore, from Alabama was Joe. What was Joe's last name? Joe East. No, East. he got out of that, I'm saying, 10 or 12 years ago. Yeah. But he, Joe was around for several years. Well, there's several of those vendors that I would remember from this. Uh, there was a guy named Harry English, and his wife was always with him, and she did some artwork and painted these little figurines of the tree dogs. I always enjoyed seeing him. I always enjoy seeing Don and Kim Spickler with, I think they're called, what are they called up there, Briar Creek or Briar? Uh, Oh, they're going to shoot me. No, Stone Creek. Stone Creek. Yeah, Stone Creek. Yeah, uh -huh. that's right. From Pennsylvania. Uh, mm -hmm. People that I always enjoyed seeing. Uh, Rodney Ridenauer from, from North Carolina is usually there. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to miss a lot of them, but oh, uh, yeah. I don't know if. Yeah, uh, no, Bob, Os Bob Osborne from Mississippi. Yeah, Timber Creek. Timber yeah. Creek and our Creek, yeah. our friend Ronnie Stark's usually there with him. Oh yeah, and, and then uh, yeah, just it, it, it's a it's a fun time to get around and talk to all those people. And I try to go and and see the bench show some of it, uh, but you know, all those years I called all those entries on the bench show, kind of did the MC work. And was real close to it, but now, man, there's so many rings and so many stuff going on. That, oh yeah, uh, it's a, you know, that showing is a, a lot bigger deal than what it used to be. I know yeah, that. we call it the world's largest coonhound bench show, and it definitely mm -hmm. is that. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, I talked to my friend Randy Smith. Of course, my fr I got two friends, Randy Smith, one from right. Mississippi and one from Pennsylvania. And he's all gearing up for the UKC World Hunt. He says they got five dogs that mm -hmm. are going to the zone hunt, and uh, that uh, they have high hopes for. And uh, so it's that time of year, man. World oh, Hunt yeah. time, and then of course the PKC World will come along after the UKC and. Right. And, uh, but, uh, man, I'm just, I still get just ex excited about the openings of coon season as I did when I was a kid. Uh, oh, yeah. That doesn't change, does it? No, it doesn't change. You know, when it goes to getting cooler weather, you want to go to hunting more and season comes. Well, you know, we don't have a season here in Alabama anymore. It's open year round. Right. You know, it used to have a season. Of course, we hunted year-round anyway, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you just didn't take a gun or you didn't have it out where somebody could see it anyway. But, <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, now the turkey hunters and the deer hunters want you to kill all them cones, you know. Oh, yeah. And they're always asking me, you need to come down to my lease and kill these cones eating up all my corn. 
And, yeah, that's uh, right. Know. Well, but, over in Georgia, they've kind of slackened the rules over there. You know, it's pretty much open that you can, I think, on private land maybe. It's pretty much year-round now. And mm-hmm. I think on some of the wildlife management areas and all, they've extended the season. And also the well, coons. I'm going to interrupt you. You know, we got this problem, and it's not so much here about this with deer, this wasting disease. Yeah, chronic wasting and disease. Right yeah. now, they they telling us. I, I I've never really done it. Feed the deer. You can, some of these land companies uh, like Westerbelt owns thousands and thousands of acres and lease it out to different clubs, but you can't put corn out anymore. Yeah, because, they discourage that baiting because it, it. Well, they get that wasting disease from. Eating after one another, and if you got yeah. that one looking on some corn pile, and he mm-hmm. gets full and leaves, the next one comes by and goes eating that corn, he's gonna get that wasting disease. Yeah. yeah. Or that's what they say now. Whether they know what they're talking about, hell, I don't know where they do or not. Well, when you're our age, nothing. We kind of question everything, don't we? Oh yeah. Well. <laughs> Because we do I, I've know. I've always questioned a lot of stuff myself, but you know. Oh yeah. I don't know. Uh, they know more than I do about a lot of stuff, I guess. Well, you know, I hunted in Michigan for all those years, and I, I, people would say, well, you don't hunt during deer season, do you? And I said, when's deer season? I don't pay any attention right. to deer season. I might wait a little bit longer to go in the woods. Well, uh, you know, if you if your dog is broke off the deer, he's not going to fool with them deer, and he's not going to run them off. I know a lot of times – over the years, I've been walking to my dog down a fence road, down a pasture fence line or whatever, and get 100 yards from a dog, and there's four or five deer laying down there. They don't oh, pay any oh, attention yeah. to them dogs. Right. Well, yeah. we know that, and, and you know, but but the, those horn hunters, they, they think that our dogs would just blow them clear out of the country, and they, I, you know, when the study mm-hmm. over – South Carolina that I participated in years ago, you know, proved that the running the dogs didn't affect the movement of deer yeah. at all or turkeys. Yeah, and, right. uh, so, but you know, hard, it's hard to break old habits and all, but. Exactly. Hey, I remember one time you and I were in Arkansas at White River hunting and my dog trade and yours went a little further deeper and trade. And I stopped by my dog and you was going to go to yours and then come back. And while you were gone, I looked, and there was eyes right over here to the left, wasn't 50 yards. And I thought, what is that? So I walked towards it to see what it was, and a great big old buck reared up when I got kind of close, <laughs> stretched his legs out, and just walked off. He'd been laying there the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, he yeah. wasn't paying no attention to them dogs. No. That was probably the biggest buck I ever seen in the woods. Well, you know, that's the frustrating thing about being a hound's person. Because you know what the truth is. You know from experience of being out there and seeing all those instances when you walked into dogs and you find deer laying or even standing out there within your light, you know, just looking uh, while the dogs are treeing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, a a deer, if he was afraid, the first thing he was going to do was get out of there. Oh, yeah. But, But we know this, but we to convince that deer hunter out there that hunts two weeks out of the year, most of them, a lot of them are bow hunters that sit those stands every evening after work. And I understand that's their sport and all, and they should have it. 
I'm 100% for them having that opportunity. But they don't own the woods, and they shouldn't feel that they do. And the game departments around the country should not give preferential treatment to deer and turkey hunters and trout fishermen well, just they because do. they, 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 they do, do because they feel like that they got more coming back from those guys. They feel like, you know, in Michigan there's 750,000 deer hunters, uh, right. you know, or at least there were when I lived there. And so, you know, there's, there's strength in numbers. That's why I've preached all these years about the importance of joining your state association and your national association oh, yeah. and all that, you know. But uh, Well, uh, you know, Autumn Oaks for me has had a lot of different, uh, I guess I'd say a lot of different uh, reasons that I've enjoyed it. Uh, Way back when I was young, I enjoyed just going for the fanfare and all the people and seeing the, the stud dogs that I saw in the magazines. And, oh, yeah. And going in, sitting around the tables and listening to the conversations. Then when I went to UKC, it became a job. It had to be something that, you know, and Autumn Oaks for UKC was always our showplace event, you oh, know, yeah. showcase mm -hmm. event. And, you know, down through you, we did, we started the Breeders Showcase and we had the circus tents out, outside and people mm -hmm. could set up their tables and all that. Just all kinds of things to just emphasize how important that event was. And, of course, COVID came along a couple of years ago and kind of knocked the wind out of it a bit, but looked like it was coming back pretty strong last year. And I, I'm hoping that this year, has been a real good year for Autumn Oaks. Well, uh, I hope it is too. I know COVID is down around here right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, well it, I think that's going to be a thing. It's going to be with us from now on. I yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think, you know, we, we figured out how to treat it and so mm -hmm. forth and not panic about it. Expect more out of back. That's right. <laughs> when you give give that dog that monthly ivermectin, give yourself one. <laughs> hey, listen, I did not say that, folks. I'm not, I'm not prescribing <laughs> prescribing that. I have no license to prescribe any kind of medication. So. I don't either. <laughs> but uh, that's well, a whole. Let me, tell you, let me tell you this. Get get away from coon hunting a minute. Hawaii just beat Tennessee in a Little League World, I mean, Little League Baseball Championship. So Hawaii is the, is the world champion now? Won, won, won the U.S. They beat Tennessee. They've been playing for three weeks. And I think uh, Chinese Taipei and uh, what is it, Curacao? Uh, Curacao beat them early. So they'll play Hawaii here in a few days for the Little League World Championship. Well, all right. Well, we'll look forward to that then. I, I love baseball. Baseball's my sport, and uh, uh, Miss Ella and I are making plans when we get back from Autumn Oaks. We're gonna the Houston Astros are in town playing the Tampa Bay Rays, and we like okay. the Astros. We're Astro fans, so we're going to be at the ballpark and enjoying that. But. Uh, but we'll be looking forward to um, to the fall at White River. I think our normal crew will be there. Maybe I know um, my buddy Mark is going to come out with me for the first time. Of course, you and I will travel together, but he's going to make mm -hmm. the ride out, I think. And uh, yeah. it's always fun uh, to 
to have somebody new in camp. But the problem is, is you know, our our group is growing <laughs> to the point well, that you know, you know. I used to tell people that they want to. How come you don't invite me to go? And I said, well, I go with somebody else, and I can't invite people. <laughs> yeah. Now, now all my old buddies are dead, and I'm a senior one, so. You know, well, yeah. of course, we we right. got to kind of check with you before we do anything now, because you're the you're the well, Jamie, high pot, potentate. Ja- you know, you know, my buddy Jer- Jamie and Trey come out last year, and they want to go again this year. So there'll be eight of us, which five or six is a good crowd, but eight's okay. And we just had to choose up sides every night and see who's going to hunt with another and split up and go. I guess we're going to have to start having a poundage hunt or something, maybe. Yeah, we'll have to draw names. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the worst thing about it is is after the hunt, when we get there in the the clubhouse or the uh, lodge, I should call it, and we're sitting around there and we're enjoying some of your labor. Uh, yeah. the muscadines and uh, talk, and listening to the not. stories and oh, listening yeah. to the stories and trying to figure out which ones are true and which ones are are you know embellished a little bit or whatever. Yeah. But now it that's a fun part of it for me. I, I tell you, yeah. and, and uh, I think old Keith Durkey's going to go this year, and of course Randy Smith and and uh, you and Jamie and Trey and. You can't forget the mayor over there of uh, of Batesville, Mississippi. That's right, Morris Hardy. Morris Morris Hardy. I was going to call his name, but that and that's it. As far as I know, of Mm -hmm. course, Fishman John will be there, and his boy from live over there. Well, we always enjoy the people that stop in to see us and visit with us during the week. There's always somebody uh, stopping. Yeah, we got her. You ever, noticed, you ever noticed they stop at dinner time? Yeah, they usually come around pretty close to mealtime. I've noticed right. that. Yeah, Coon hunters are like that. You know, they're That's real that. perceptive about things like that. <laughs> well, I've made some, uh, I've had my wife and I helped her make it some, some, uh, what, it, what, the pear preserves. I made some pear preserves mm-hmm. last week and I made some, uh, Two or three more kind, you know. Yeah, we you know. with them cathead biscuits will go pretty good with that yeah, pepper. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that we don't ever uh, go hungry over there. That's for sure. That's, that's right. for sure. It's fig. I couldn't think of the name. It's figs and strawberries mixed preserves. Mm. All right. Well, we yeah. may have to start a line of of. Uh, jams and jellies here on this podcast and would set yeah, them on the side yeah right. yeah well uh, that's good well we don't tell we don't divulge which night that randy and uh, morris uh, fry fish and frog legs because man yeah, well, i mean we'd have to beat them off with a stick that's right don't tell people we fry crappie and frog legs over there no they'll be coming in won't they they'll eat. be there every night won't they yeah. They will. Yeah. Well, we don't go hungry while we're over there. No, that's for sure. We don't. And you know, Nubbin, you and I've been at this here jaw jacking for about an hour and twenty, right, almost twenty five minutes. Well, I'm not going to say another word then. <laughs> I'll believe that when I see it. <laughs> uh, well, I tell you what, buddy, it's be about three days, and I'll see you. And uh, be next we'll, Wednesday, yeah, well, you'll get, yeah. get here a little before dark normally, yeah, 
Yeah. And then we'd get up about daylight and lay and stop by Jack's and get us a biscuit and then go on up the road. That's what we do. That's what mm-hmm. we do. And we there's probably going to be a story or two told. Oh, on yeah. The way you, like, up there. You, like them, you like them ham biscuits hey. from there. I like that sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. I like that country ham. Oh, yeah, I know you. There's a fellow passed away not too long ago that was real involved in the PKC organization. And I don't know if you ever met him or not, Ross Bagwell. No, I didn't he, know him. He would, you know, he was a friend of Jarvis and all. He was involved in PKC, PCA mm-hmm. way back in the day. But he got to bringing us, a country, the staff of PKC, country ham. Yeah. And it's uh, Benton County Molasses. And, yeah. uh, man, my dad always loved me. When I'd come home, I'd bring him a can of molasses. My mother make molasses cookies. Mm-hmm. And the uh, doctor told him, I don't know what's putting your cholesterol so high. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Them biscuits and that sovereign syrup. That's right. And mm-hmm. uh, But I love that hickory smoked country ham. Now, man... Mm-hmm. Give me that and some grits and some biscuits and some of that pear preserves that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And a good cup of coffee. Oh and yeah, man! I can I can do some damage right there now. <laughs> well, Nubbin, I guess we're going to shut this thing down, as they say, pee on the fire and call the dogs. That's right. Yeah, but, but uh, it's been good to visit with you and. I hope we've whetted the appetite a little bit for folks to get out and go to some of these events. Get you a traveling buddy, somebody put up with your lies and 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 uh, and just uh, you know get out there and see some of this great country you live in, and take an old dog with you. And when it gets dark, turning loose down the creek there somewhere, and just enjoy what all the good Lord's provided for us, like we do. Don't you say that's a good idea? That is a good idea, yeah. a real good idea. Well, folks, that's going to wind it up for this episode of Gone to the Dogs. Uh, and uh, we thank you for, for tuning in with us. I will tell you that I do still have copies of Gone to the Dogs, A Coon Hunter's Journey, the book that I wrote. There's uh, 200 pages, 22 or 23 chapters, all about coon dogs, coon hunting, stuff I think you'll enjoy reading. It's available at stevefielderbooks.com online. I am uh, going to be announcing real soon uh, a line of uh, Gone to the Dogs hats that you'll be able to purchase uh, through the bookstore there, too. So anyway, thanks for listening uh, once again. And if somebody comes up to you and says, where's Fielder? Just tell them he's gone to the dogs.